Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. Hey podcast, it's Corey from Best Served Creative. This episode is a clubhouse recording where we talked about foods that we want to like but just can't get behind. Hope you enjoy. Just keep in mind there is a one mic rule. Uh, so basically, keep your mics muted unless you're speaking. Um, and if we invite you up on the stage, mute your mic because it doesn't mute it automatically for you. Uh, and next week, we will be discussing um, mental health in the food industry. Is that right, Jensen? Correct. Yeah. So weekly, we're going to be on every week, everybody. So Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, 11 a.m. Pacific with a different topic each week. Yeah, next week we're going to have mental health and kind of self-care in the restaurant industry, kind of inspired by our friend Katie Osuna, the uh, host of the Copper Heat podcast, who's been focusing on that. It's been something that's been important to us at Best Serve, an important topic for anybody and everybody, especially in the restaurant industry. So, yeah, it should be a good one. Yes. Uh, let's see. One more thing. Um, so the way we're going to do this is we're going to do some quick intros for the moderators so you know who we are. Um, and then we're going to invite some of you on stage and we're going to talk about the foods that we want to like but don't. Um, <laughs> so that ought to be fun. Uh, we'll take turns and then also feel free to have a discussion. Um, if we have too many people on stage, don't be offended. We will turn off hand raising for a little bit but turn it back on when we're ready to introduce some more people. I like it. Sounds good. All right. You want me to jump in? Got all yeah. your housekeeping items? All right. Housekeeping <laughs> items. Oh, and the other one that I really like that's a new one. I've been doing it, I don't know, entirely too much, but I think it's important. If you click on and off your uh, your mute button, it's actually applause. I kept getting weirded out when I saw that in the rooms, but it turns out that's applause. So just like insider knowledge there when it comes to the room. So uh, yeah, Alyssa, why don't you go ahead and start? Introduce yourself first, and then I'll jump in. Sure. Um, so my name is Alyssa. I'm a food writer and blogger and micro-influencer. Um, and let's see. There, there's always like a random food that I, I don't like but wish I could. But two that come to mind are chicken feet because I actually do like the flavor usually. It's just the texture that I have trouble getting past. You know, it's a kind of cartilage and weird (laughs) but I like it like I like the flavor so I wish I could enjoy it more and the other believe it or not is cake I don't know if you yeah I don't know if you notice I don't post cake typically um because I just I don't like it and and there there is a rare cake that I will love but it's extremely rare for me to actually really like a cake yeah I love I love somehow how random Sometimes what people like and don't like in these conversations are. That's why I like opening this up. Uh, right. and, and I want to get, before before we get too into uh, foods that I want to like, I want to kind of like set the tone for people. Just a quick introduction to myself. You know, I'm founder and and chief why officer of Best Serves Podcast and Creative, where we really focus on kind of our mission is 
to unlock and amplify the worth and work of people who see their communities. And to me, that's really about, I mentioned self-care and mental health that we're going to be talking about next week. It's like in the restaurant industry, we are so hospital. We put so much of ourselves out there that sometimes we don't leave very much for ourselves. And so our work has really become to kind of share more voices, more stories of people that are in this industry that uh, commit themselves to feeding each other. And I'll get to the point of why that kind of feeds into a, a playful topic like today. But really, I think it's important for us to understand that Food has such transformational powers, and the contradiction of food is, I truly believe this, I believe that food can change somebody's day. We've all seen this, where we had a shit day, or somebody comes into a restaurant, and they just are down the dumps, and you shift one moment, one day for them, sitting around a table and feeding another human being, the purest form of love and hospitality that there is, and I think... What I really, really love about that is that if you change one person's day, you can change their outlook, their mindset, their trajectory, and you can change their life. And if you change enough lives, you can change the world. I truly, truly believe that. And at the same time, it's just food. So like, we have to hold these contradictions at all times, and, I, and I'm always fascinated in that. That you can change the world through food, and sometimes you need to just not take it that seriously, and it's just food. And so sometimes there's so much weight on the expectations of food, especially for, for us chefs. It's it's our language. It's the universal language, right? It's a language we all speak. It breaks all borders and boundaries. And so I think about that a lot. But then I also think about the weight and expectation and pressure that we put on what food is, what holds up to our expectation, our high, high standards. And I think about that a lot. And sometimes I've put myself and others, my team or, or my guests in a position to be forced to choke down foods that we did not like, yet they were somehow of status and prestige. And so this is where this idea of foods I want to like, because look, the reality is there's this trash food out there, full stop. It's, it's in the system. And lots of people like trash foods. And there's another topic of guilty pleasures that's a whole different topic of things that I know are fucking trash, yet I can't help myself. I just remember having McDonald's hash browns on road trips with my dad for his work, and I can't help it. It just, it tastes so, it's such a strong memory. And so I know it's trash, and I still can't help it. And luckily, maybe only once a year, I partake in that. And then there's other foods that I just know. I know that they are the utmost quality. They are the best of the best. They represent a culture. They represent a talent. They represent the, the earth, the very soil that people tend and, and grow food for us. And I still, I just can't, I can't get into them. And I think it's okay. And I think to have a little conversation about it is, is meaningful and it creates a little levity and I make fun of myself for it. So it's something that I wanted to like have be open and an opportunity for us to like really delve into that there doesn't have to be so much pressure on the fact that we like or don't like something just because it has some kind of prestige. So that's kind of like laying down the groundwork for what we're talking about. And so want to, yeah, uh, Alyssa, I think that, I think that was, that was great. Let's get into a couple of those. I want to just go around quickly, Josh, Michelle, Corey, Allen, and, uh, Let's see the the business gypsy Heather Chuck love that awesome uh, name. Hey, three oh two, three oh two. So each of us just go around just quickly and kind of 
mention a couple of the foods that for one reason or another we just can't get behind and uh and just discuss about them this is kind of open so we'll kind of go around each of us can mention some if you have a visceral reaction one way or the other about something somebody just jump right in please do and uh you know if we get too many voices flopping over each other i'll jump in and, and uh cut everyone off and we'll start again but uh, i want this to be kind of a fun fast loose conversation and then once this group is kind of done please be raising your hands when Alyssa calls for it again and we'll bring another group up onto the stage and kind of wrap for a little bit so uh you started us out Alyssa. i'll jump in and tell you a couple of mine uh my grandmother's from kyoto japan and so my obacha would come over to our house when i was a kid right i'm hapa i was i was never white enough and never japanese enough it's something i reflect upon a lot and growing up i was always nervous about the asian food in our house and i remember she would come over bring these tiny little containers of all these weird funky fermented things most everything she brought over are now like fundamental to my diet i've spent the last decade fermenting foods and being uh, impassioned by those types of foods yet I remember hiding those things when my friends would come over because I didn't want to be the weird Asian kid, right? I would even hide the rice cooker because we always had a pot of rice going at all times. And it wasn't cool to be Asian yet. It wasn't cool to be Japanese yet. And uh, now we definitely are, are seeing the limelight a little bit. And so there's still one food, though, that I cannot, I cannot wrap my head around, and that is natto. If anybody's not familiar, it's basically fermented soybeans that turn into a snotty paste. It's like if you... If, if you took river pebbles and dunked them in Ghostbusters ecto slime, that's what it feels like. And I know that it's it's such a righteous food. I know the like beauty of the umami. I know what it means from a person, excuse me, preservation standpoint and the cultural relevance. I just cannot. I cannot do it. It's got it's the texture, and I'm usually not that averse to like Q quote-unquote Q style textures but it just gets me every time and so I got to tell on myself there and then the other being in Colorado where we have some of the best lamb in the world I still love lamb for like two bites and then I'm I'm over it it tastes like uh to me it tastes like the hay in the barn that's kind of gotten mildew underneath it I don't know what it is <laughs> but two three bites I'm into it and I I can't do it beyond that and so that's a that's a big one for a chef in Colorado so those are two for me uh anybody have, anybody have any any uh and feel free to razz me I, I'll take the heat all day long on that but uh Josh if you wanted to jump in with any we'll kind of go around this group and please like I said jump in and banter would be great yeah, thanks uh, for uh, inviting me to this. Uh, I love the idea of talking about foods we uh, just want to like. Uh, a little bit about me, I'm a, an American sake brewer in San Diego, California. I opened up a sake brewery uh, about four years ago, and uh, I've been showcasing Japanese things and culture to the best of my ability uh, ever since. And it's uh, it's been a rad ride that has... Um, dovetailed even more with my love of food and, and access to uh, uh, new and interesting things. And, and one of the things that I've been periodically trying, much like I tried junior college, uh, I, I, I'm trying durian, and, and it's I want to like it, but I just can't. And it's not for the reasons that you'd think. I also don't like uh, overripe bananas, and so I, I think there's a, a crossover there. But Alyssa, thank you for uh, mentioning that you don't like cake because I was really nervous and thinking that I would uh, 
you know, be that guy. You know, it's like, oh, don't hate on Dorian, isn't it great? But uh, I just, it, it's too much like overripe banana, and that's where I, I can't get, get down. Uh, and uh, also, I love the flavor of chicken feet. I'm a dim sum addict. You know, whenever I can get any kind of uh, uh, squeaky anything, really, I'm, I'm game. But uh, I don't like the little bones, and it just creeps me out to deal with that. So, you know, I, I hear you on that one. Um, I feel like it's easy to beat up on uh, other cultures' food, though, and, and so I'm, like, rapidly trying to find an American thing I don't like. Uh, I don't like fortune cookies. There, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like hot dogs. That's American. I mean, I don't like Italian food. <laughs> Sorry. Really? Yeah, I... You live in Bensonhurst. <laughs> I know. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. My neighbors are going to knock the door, so I have to make sure I don't say it too loud. Or maybe they're on Clubhouse right now. Hold on, maybe they're in this group right now. But I just don't find... I, I think Italian food is delicious, but I think the simplicity of their dishes don't really impress me and I, I think their food is, is amazing but I would never just like go out of my way for a pasta or like go out of my way for like uh you know penne alla vaca and cal- you know calamari or anything like I just don't find it to be uh appealing to me even though it and, and also the taste I really think that it's it's so simple like it doesn't it doesn't really make me go like oh my gosh I have to I'm dreaming and salivating about you know that that um that dish that I had from you know the Italian restaurant, um and then the other thing I don't like is um I think like steak. <laughs> I'm with you on that actually. <laughs> I like Maybe steak. I never had to eat. I just like I don't like that. I don't like chewing like something that I I think like after three chews there's no flavor. I'm like I I'm over it. I would just like get get over that. And I don't like lobster i'm like you know i should be out of this room now but i don't like <laughs> i'm girl i'm with you i don't eat any seafood um again it's just like the the fishy i don't know but like i yeah shrimp skeeve me out yes, it's just, but i'll, I'll eat anything though i'll eat durian i'll eat stinky tofu i'll eat anything that smells horrible like i have no problem doing that i love that you know comp like the complexity of like flavors i love that but like there's just certain things that like even lobster like i'm like all right it's whack like i don't i don't i don't care about it i gotta tell you guys steak it's a funny one uh betsy my wife not really into steak either so my two young sons and i are super into steak and so i'll cook up a steak and then i cut small bite-sized pieces for the boys and I also cut small bite-sized pieces for my wife because if they're in tiny little, like, don't have to chew on a big chunk of meat, she can, like, down, you know, an ounce or two of steak. So I literally cut up her meat as if she was a small child. That's <laughs> so cute. You sound like my husband because he literally has to, like, cut off, like, the fatty parts and just, like, the, yeah, like, yeah. I, I can't eat steak unless it's like filet or center cut sirloin or like because if there's any gristling or fat like I die and Michelle you bring up something interesting for me is like foods that I want to like is kind of just for me personally a, a taste profile but I also extend that into thinking about the business and I do like lobster I love lobster yet it's so rare that I think lobster is worth the price of admission and so there's also this thing of just evaluating it like on a menu or or even at the seafood counter it's like i love it i'm into 
like, is it worth the price? And then it becomes like a value proposition thing with, with some of these foods as well. It's like, it's not, it's not necessarily worth it. And when you come into that factor of like, like the lamb dish I mentioned or other things like eggplant, I sometimes love eggplant and sometimes it's just, it's, it's horrible. Like it, it feels like there's a sponge in my mouth. And so I'm not necessarily always willing to risk 14, 18, 27 dollars a plate for that. So there's an interesting dynamic too with the trust and confidence we have in some of these ingredients, especially if we are adverse to them. But I know a lot of us still will revisit those because we're food people, we're adventurous. We're going to revisit these foods often. And so I revisit them. I just have to do it in a safe place. Yeah, and I say, Alan, jump in. What's something for you? We'll kind of go around and please feel free to jump in and I'll make sure everyone. Um, gets a turn themselves if they don't want to jump in on their own. Cool, yeah, thank you. Um, a little bit of background. My parents, we own a rest- Chinese restaurant for 40 years. Uh, so I do have a passion for food and cooking food and researching food. It's not my it's not my work now, but, uh, you know, everything that's been mentioned so far, I love every, everything that you guys have talked about. Um, there's not a whole lot of food I don't like. I'll eat everything. Um, texture plays a small factor, like, the oyster example, I like small to medium oysters. The ones that are big, when you steam those up, obviously you can't eat them raw, but when you steam those up, it's uh, it's intestines or the, the belly of it. It's a weird texture. It's gelatinous. It is, you know what it actually is. I'll eat it and I don't hate it, but I don't choose it. <laughs> Um, but the one food that I think I really, really will never eat again is probably intestines. Uh, my rationale behind that is that there's so much variation in the world on how those things are cleaned and what is considered to be clean. And the reality is it's really difficult to get the smell and flavor, (laughs) the taste of what was in there out. Um, so that's probably the only thing that I don't like that I've tried so far in my life. That's really interesting. I never considered that. But is there anyone that really wants to like eating intestines? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Lisa, uh, actually, Lisa mentioned that earlier, if you want to. Yeah. Um, uh, that, uh, hi, and Lisa, thank you for inviting me up. I, um, I love pretty much everything, but the one thing that I, I mean, and I've had it, I've had it at good Italian restaurants and tomato sauce, I cannot get trite. Yeah, you know, to work for me, <laughs> and um, you know, and just some background. Um, I had gone to Vermont once and had sweetbreads, and I always used to like just kind of like you know when I heard the word sweetbreads. But after tasting them, they were delicious, and I'm totally into them. And if somebody were to serve me them, I would say thank you very much. But tripe, I uh, no, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, guys, but how do you mute the microphone? Oh, uh, on the all the way on the right on the bottom, there's like a little uh, microphone symbol. Yeah, you got it. Welcome to Clubhouse. Yeah, I've, uh, I haven't spoken yet. Uh, interesting topic. Uh, I'm not trying to intrude or uh, interrupt anybody, so let me know when you want me to speak. Yeah, go right ahead, Bruce. Jump in. Uh, so, sushi of all things. I love the flavors, but the textures, that's what gets me. Like, I've tried it an ample amount of times, and it's like, the raw fish doesn't throw me off. It's just more like, you get so many different textures, and, like, that's part of the experience with sushi, which kind of 
peeves me because I want to be happy with the textures. And I'm sorry if you hear any back. But um, sushi is something that I really want to like. It actually just throw me off. Bruce, I'm right there with you, and I'm actually walking my dogs too. But like sushi, it's like it's too big of a bite too. And then you've just got this giant sushi roll depending on which ones you get. And in your mouth, it's like, no. That's the one thing. I love sushi, but I also, I can't fit the whole piece in my mouth. You know, it's really hard. <laughs> it's so annoying. I know. Yeah. yeah and, and all the dipping sauces, everything that they have to accommodate it and make it even better. It's like, I love all that stuff. But it's like when you take a bite of the sushi roll and then it's like, oh, hey, the whole thing doesn't fit in my mouth. And then you end up with a half-eaten bite that's falling apart. It's, it's a, <laughs> it just gets me a little weird because the, you got raw fish, sure, which that texture is different than cooked fish. And then, I mean, I love the vegetables and I love the rice and I love the, uh, you know, the uh, seaweed wrap. But it's like that whole raw texture kind of throws me off every once in a while. And Bruce, what are you talking about? plays into something I mentioned at the, the onset of this, where there's so much pressure we put on ourselves as, you know, hospitality professionals or even just foodies, anything of that uh, type where it's, it's like, this is a, an ingredient of prestige. It has status. And so you must like it if you are in this elite club of eaters. And the reality is like, there's, that's a lot of pressure. And to your point, like some of the some of the bites are amazing. One of the things I don't like is on chemo, right? Like monkfish liver, you know, foie gras of the sea. I'm like, it's not though. It tastes like somebody took a, a silly putty and like rubbed it at the bottom of the ocean and then is getting me to eat it. And if you put enough soy or yuzu on it and stuff that it's supposed to be good, but the reality is like, it may not be. And one of the things you talk about too, this is why if you guys ever watched Jiro's Dreams of Sushi, one of my favorite documentaries, he talks about paying attention to people, even if they're left-handed, he'll serve them sushi on the other side and make bites appropriate to the, the, to the person. And that's something that gets lost in that transaction sometimes in that exchange is like, you should be able to eat in one bite, but not like me, six foot two, 200 pound grown ass man bite. If that's not you, like, and I think that's a, that's a, a little bit of a nuance in the interaction that is sushi that sometimes gets lost. So I, I appreciate you pointing that out. Um, who hasn't jumped up? Sophie, you want to jump in with the food? Hi. Yeah. Um, I, I was totally um, agreeing with everybody about shrimp. I've tried it so many times and I really want to like it. It's just texturally just, it doesn't work. Um, and then also I feel like I'm going to get fired for this, but um I don't like beer at all. I don't blame like, you for that. I just, don't like it. Either. It just Thanks. doesn't taste like any, and people really like it. And I've spent hours and hours listening to podcasts about all these really cool fermentation stuff. And now I, I mean, it just tastes like wheat and water. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jensen. <laughs> I drink beer and I order beer sometimes when I'm out with people, but I never actually enjoy it all that much. So I'm right there with you. I work for a brewery and I hate it. I work for a <laughs> distillery and I don't like bourbon. <laughs> Look at you started, Sophie. I think I'm going to give you a raise for saying that. I appreciate that for sure. <laughs> I work at a New York style bagel shop and I'm not a fan of bagels anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all of us. 
Oh, see, that's a good one. You're talking about when you get so close to something. Somebody was mentioning how they started a garden and they're growing all this Swiss chard and kale and all these things that they loved. And now they cannot stand them because they've had them 75,000 different ways because they grow like a weed. And so you get so close to something that maybe you went to it because you loved it. You worked at a sushi restaurant and all of a sudden you're like, fuck this. I can't eat it anymore. It's like it becomes it's like kryptonite. All of a sudden you just can't stand it. So I, I appreciate that for sure. Plus, let's jump in. Ian, you want to jump in with something? I think yeah. we also skipped over uh, Rebecca and Janice. Go ahead, Ian. Okay, just wanted to make sure. I don't want to jump jump the queue. Um, papaya. Papaya is one that I've always wanted to like, but there's this aftertaste that just drives me nuts. Um, I think that is one that, especially like it's awesome it has very a deep rich unique flavor but for whatever reason the aftertaste of it it just is not pleasant to me i want to say something about papaya because that's a interesting subject when i had it for the first time here in america it was disgusting and i i had it once never ate it again but so my wife is from thailand the fruit over there is an absolute 180 like nothing none of the fruit over there tastes anything like fruit in america everything over there tastes better um and papaya was one of them and i i think i know the aftertaste you're talking about but none of it was i i, I don't know it just tasted like eating sugar over there all of the fruit is that's really oh sorry <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up uh, thai food too i've worked in many a thai restaurant and we we're just talking about how uh, being close to something can have people grow an aversion towards it. That has never happened for me with Thai food. <laughs> I, I could eat Thai food every day of my life. It's You can get such versatility within the menu. I feel the same way about Japanese food. Um, and then obviously like tacos. Like who doesn't like a good taco? <laughs> okay, that's actually mine. So I'm going to jump in. I really want to like tacos. And every time I am at a, a restaurant that has tacos on the menu... I look at the list of ingredients and I'm like, oh, that combination of flavors sounds so interesting to me. Um, you know, like I can't wait to have this taco. And almost every single time the taco comes out, it just does not deliver. And I don't know why, but I'm just like almost always completely disappointed by ordering tacos um, with very rare exceptions. And that's why I don't order tacos from like an American restaurant or like a brew pub or I, I go to like an authentic like taco like restaurant like there's this hole in the wall in my state and Alyssa probably knows it it's called Moralia Moralia's taco restaurant and bar on I haven't four. been there yet oh my god it's so good like they I okay. and I don't go any I don't go out but like I do like the the delivery but it's just always amazing but yeah I don't order tacos from like I don't know, like a fried chicken place or like, like an American cuisine place because they don't know how. Oh, no, no. Like even when I go to places that try and be like very authentic or, you know, that's all that they do is tacos. There's just like very few times where I've been like, you know what, that was actually legit and very flavorful. It's just like something about that. And I want to like it because it's such a convenient vehicle of like getting really incredible flavors to your face. And just for some reason just almost always falls flat for me. <laughs> you had me laughing at incredible flavors to your face 
I mean, that's that's all that a tortilla is. It's just a vehicle to transport sauce and flavor to your face. Yeah, Janice, that makes me think, is it is it the tortilla? Because that's the unifying factor of, of tacos, because tacos is so ubiquitous in the so many different styles of ingredients and, and microcultures and stuff like that. I definitely think that could be part of it because like one of the places um, here in Denver called Onefold that I like actually do enjoy their tacos, um, they make their tortillas from scratch and hand press them to order. So I definitely think that could be part of it, but it also just feels like even if I took a fork to some of the tacos that I eat, like all the flavors that they talk about on, on the menu, you know, like this flavor of pork with, you know, these house pickled, whatever, like once all of that combination goes in my face, like it just doesn't pack the punch that I imagine that it would. So not trying to interrupt, but next week, uh, Saturday, I'll be going to Cabo San Lucas for my third time. And I'll make sure to take plenty of pictures and let you know which tacos are the best uh, in Cabo San Lucas. And that way, if you ever go, you can try them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been to Mexico, Mexico a couple of times on different parts of it, but uh, it's it's just, I don't know. There's something about it that I just always disappoint. Hey guys, I just want to reset the room real quick because we do have some new listeners and new speakers. Um, we're talking about foods that we want to like, but just don't. Um, and right, we're just feel free to raise your hand and join the stage, ping people on in. Um, and if you join the stage, just make sure to mute your mic, uh, while other people are speaking, um, but feel free to join in on the conversation. There is one thing that I, I cannot, um, I, I can't go liking it is the mochi donut. I know it's like super trendy at one point and everybody was like raving about it. And I bought a dozen and it's like all different flavors and it's supposed to taste like a mochi, but it's a donut and it's crunchy because they add all these sprinkles and candies. And I think I almost chipped a tooth, but like, I think that, what? Yeah, I know you, Alyssa, you know, I want to drop the <laughs> business because that person will come and probably like strangle me. But my daughter and I, we tried every one of them and we ended up liking only the, the Ube one, but I don't see what is the big freaking deal. So I'm curious where you went because the first time I tried mochi donuts, I thought it was disgusting. Like the flavor was good on the on like the outside, but it was so greasy and like it just made me feel nauseous because there was so much grease in it. Um, and that was at Ali Mama, who was like the first place that I know of that brought it to New York. Um, but they changed the way they make them, where it's the the grease from frying it is distributed better so it's not like getting all greasy and stuff so i'm curious when did you try it or or where um it's a place in midtown and i tried it uh probably at the beginning of covid times and i mean again it's absolutely instagrammable it's beautiful i can take a million pictures posing with it but like i think the flavors are okay again like i think because social media is such a a, a great marketing platform that they convinced me to like actually buy a dozen to try it. I think the flavor is not there. It's definitely chewy like a mochi, but will I ever go back there again to buy stuff? No, I wouldn't. Was it the Doe Club? I'm trying to think Midtown. I would have to go back to my uh, my my re receipts, but I think like stuff, like things that are, even the, the tiger, what is it called? The sugar boba ice cream. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking I, about. I, 
I don't like it. I don't think it tastes good. I think, you know, I know they're trying to make more money marketing wise, but like, I'm a big dessert person. So like, if I don't like something like ice cream, that's a big problem. Michelle, do you like cake? (laughs) (laughs) I love cake, cookies, anything, creme brulee, you name it, every dessert, I will eat it. But if I don't like a dessert, there's something wrong. Not with me, with them. Understood. Hey, Rebecca, Eric, I don't know that we've uh, come to you specifically. Either of you got a couple of foods you want to throw into the mix? Mine are all texture related and they're actually like all M words. So it's mayonnaise, mushrooms, and marshmallows. I can't stand any of them, but I like them like in melted down versions. So like I'll eat mushroom broth. I'll eat oil and eggs and I will die for a Rice Krispie treat if the marshmallows like melted down and mixed with butter. But like as they are, no, thank you. I'm with you on the marshmallows. I can't just eat a marshmallow. They're so gross. I'm pretty sure that I've had that exact dish at a kind of a molecular gastronomy type restaurant. Mushrooms, mayonnaise and marshmallow. I feel like that's uh, (laughs) that's a combination all in and of itself. I would actually try it. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like you have to burn the marshmallow at the table, but it's a mushroom marshmallow, and then you douse it with mayonnaise. I feel like I've had that dish. You know, like Alinea or somewhere, I'm pretty sure I've had that dish. That sounds... Wait, wait so that's... I thought you were joking at first. That's really a thing? No, I'm... Remind me to stay away from <laughs> But I've had... Yeah, I've had I'm never going there. Close to that type of thing. <laughs> like savory marshmallow with some kind of like creamy, savory sauce. It might not be exactly that, but pretty damn close. Yeah. That, I, I'm kind of curious to try it. I would try, I would try just about anything, but I want to try. And of course I like pretended sure, like I liked it, you know, I had to. I have made savory marshmallows before and it's, I, The thing is, is that, you know, again, these are all things that, like, I want to like. I really do. And I respect them. I just can't. I cannot. Mm, Oh, thank you. I hear you. (laughs) What about you, Eric? Um, I think my experience, uh, one of the ingredients that I really can't touch anymore is uh, trout. I had one of these experiences where uh, my dad was a chef and we had this, like, long vacation where... uh, we were, we were in Mexico, we were in Maninatico, which had a, a big trout, local trout uh, industry. And so he's super pumped about the freshness. And he made us trout like two meals a day for like a week. And that was years ago. And I still can't smell trout uh, without gagging a little bit. But I, <laughs> but I respect, you know, I respect it. I, I respect, I just can't bring myself to eat it anymore. Eric, our parents, our parents fuck us up all the time, man. I'm telling I mean, you. He, my dad was well-intentioned. You know? I know. He was making all these different meals. He, you know, he was a big chef. He was like, doing all these things. And like, he was just so pumped to use this fresh product, this, this like unique ingredient. And I, I, it kills me. I can't, I just can't smell it. I don't care how we have, fancy. We have a room in our house with my, my two young sons. You try everything. You don't have to like anything. And so, like, we're really big on trying, 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 because I also don't want to force things down their throat, because I recognize that, like, there's an opportunity there, but there's also the potential to, like, give them a give them a complex around it. Like, for me, 
I, I mentioned at the early onset those those trips with my dad where like I still for some reason the taste of McDonald's hash browns has such fond memories for me as a kid even though I know it's trash and I have the same thing with coffee I cannot drink coffee because it smells like my dad's stale coffee breath of 64 ounce 7-eleven cheap shit m coffee mugs that he would drink every single day like multiple of them and so coffee, I just can't do it. I've had to cup hundreds of types of coffee throughout my career. And I'm like a like a sommelier spitting out coffee because I can tell you if it's good because it doesn't make me gag. That's, that's like my reflex to understand if co coffee is of high quality. But uh, yeah, we, we, we get fucked up from an early age sometimes with these foods for sure. So, hey, Michael, just saw you pop in, man. If you want to throw something into the mix too, love to hear from you. Uh, is it uh, were you calling on me yes yes sir <laughs> oh uh so i really don't like ranch and i don't see why people like it i think it's a fad i think blue cheese tastes much better and has a better texture and everyone makes fun of me because i don't like ranch uh, now don't get me wrong if you add certain things to ranch it becomes kind of better like people do whatever jalapeno or chipotle ranch you then you make it better but just ranch by itself i i don't i'm very biased i don't and i know it's an unpopular opinion does anyone here else uh maybe agree with me One yes or two? i'm with you honey. i'm very much the same <laughs> like sour cream is the same for me like you were with ranch it's like sour cream by itself is just a bland topping and it's like if you mix something else in there like chipotle or chives or something else it turns it into something completely different i agree 100 so there's this ranch i hate ranch i hate it so much but then the ranch from outback steakhouse is like delicious so like that's the only ranch i'll eat is the ranch from outback i mean and when you look at it like no one's ever added anything extra to blue cheese like when have you ever seen a chipotle blue cheese jalapeno blue cheese because it doesn't need it it's good by itself blue cheese dressing I hate blue cheese. But it's good That's by itself. It re I mean, it has texture. It has creaminess. It has flavor. Compared to ranch, which has no texture, I mean, some flavor, but it's, to me, overrated. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I want to throw blue cheese into the mix. Let's talk about blue cheese for a second because... Love uh, blue cheese. I ask this question a lot, foods that people want to like, and there's a lot of them that come up a lot. Tomatoes come a lot. Mushrooms come up a lot. Um, onions come up a lot. And blue cheese comes a lot. And this is a fascinating thing for me because I love blue cheese, like a, like a good roaring 40s or like some funky French blue cheese. I'm a big, big fan of those. I cannot fucking stand blue cheese crumbles. It is like everything that's wrong with the way that we treat a beautiful ingredient like blue cheese. And so a lot of times I don't like the blue cheese dressing. I actually get the ranch dressing because it, it at least just is what it is. The blue cheese, I taste the blue cheese and I know how good it could be. And then there's just these stale little bullets of like, it, it tastes like they're rolled in moldy onions. Like it just does not land for me. And the fact that they get to call themselves blue cheese kind of pisses me off sometimes. So huge fan of blue cheese, cannot stand blue cheese crumbles. So let's let's talk blue cheese for a minute because I feel like it's a massive ingredient that gets brought up a lot in these conversations. On the blue cheese line, though, I'd like to add feta. You have feta and blue cheese both mass produced. So it's like you end up with the same result in both of them. You have great feta cheese and you have great blue cheese. 
And it's like when you end up seeing it like what you're talking about, you just want to stay away from it. I only like bougie cheeses. So, like, I'm that person that orders my pizza without cheese. It has to be bougie cheese. Otherwise, I'm not going near it. <laughs> I like that. I, um, I was a military brat, so I ended up uh, living in France when I was a kid. And so my family is, like, obsessed with cheese on every single level. Um, and so blue cheese has never been an issue. Um, I've been more... There are some other cheeses that are, like a little bit too much but once you get them in the right setting it's all good um i think that feta and goat cheese are so people especially in america they just they're just interchangeable and they're very similar but honestly if like if goat cheese didn't exist i would go out and buy a goat so i could have my own cheese i know a woman who uh has goats I don't remember her name, Michelle. I, think I mean, on the news? yeah, I'll find it for you guys. She's awesome. She's on yeah, I cheese, love her. On the cheese side, it's uh, you know, I work at a New York style bagel place right now. Currently, I'm, I'll be opening a restaurant in about a year, year and a half. I live in Michigan. This whole COVID thing setting things back, but um, we do I don't know twenty plus different styles of cream cheese, and it's like you can take a standard cream cheese and make it better by adding things to it just like you could feta or you could do blue cheese but if you start with a really good standard to begin with of blue cheese feta cream cheese it's like it makes things so much better when you end up adding other things to it so i mean i understand the whole goat cheese concept and i'm sorry if that seems like i'm out of breath my dog is pulling me around <laughs> oh doggy <laughs> um let's see we have a few new people on the stage uh, if you guys want to tell us what foods you want to like but just can't, uh, Arfa, if I'm Hi, actually, yeah, that's that's fine. That's right. Um, so when I first saw the title, foods you want to like but you just can't, you know, for me, it would have to be quinoa. No matter what I do or how I cook it or whatever I do, I just can't like it. I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm trying to do the whole live healthy you know, health as well, all that. But it's just so hard, especially when it comes to quinoa. I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm the only person that feels that way because I know in the U.S., well, currently I'm Dubai right now, but um, I know in the U.S. it's like a fad or whatnot. It's because yeah. no matter how much you cook it, it's still like you're, you're chewing on sand. That's why. It makes <laughs> complete sense to me. Yeah, it's actually I agree with that. Weird. I, I mix it with white rice, which kind of defeats the purpose, but it tastes better. Why would you do no, that actually, for white rice? Oh, cool. I have seen it mixed with other rices, so I think that that is a really good idea, Michelle. Um, I can't remember where I ordered it, but they had like a quinoa rice, and it was mixed with maybe brown rice or some kind of like one of long grain rice of some sort, and it was actually was really I think quinoa is a something that's really nice to put in a stew. Yeah, I can see that. When you have other things to complement the quinoa, I agree 100%. But when quinoa is by itself, it's like that whole texture, it doesn't, it doesn't exist in quinoa. That's the problem. Like you don't get to be able to feel each different rice or, you know, like small kernel of quinoa. It's like all one once you cook it. I, I feel like if you want to make it good, it's just so much effort and time and everything goes into it that, you know, I just want to be on the go. Like, I don't want to have to 
chop this, chop that, and like make it good just for myself to like it, you know? It's just a hard thing. I actually put um, feta cheese in there and also fresh scallion to make it taste good. Oh, wow. Okay. That sounds good. You're making me hungry. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Like, y'all, like, I had to have my husband come up here and bring me food because I was like, okay, like, they're all making me really hungry. I found quinoa to always be so much better in a salad, like with some bright flavor to it. I think that like when you put olive oil, lemon and things like that, like people put uh, dried, dried berries, cranberries. Wow. Like, now it we're just talking. tastes so much better. Yeah, it tastes so much better than just like. Yeah, it gives it the texture. Quinoa, yeah. And a brightness, like because I don't find it that like appeasing without something to lift it up. I hear that. And we also have Angela on the stage. We want to talk about what kind of food you like, um, don't like, but want to. <laughs> Angela? Ajayla? Angela. Oh, Ajayla, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, my brain put an N in there and it's not one. <laughs> no problem. Um, no problem. Um, so I, I work in the cheese industry now and I love blue cheese, but I hate Roquefort with a burning passion that I can't actually explain. Um, it's supposed to be this like magical, like one of the first cheeses, like it is still, there are still some producers who are doing it like the old, old school way. And I just, I can't, I absolutely can't. Um, and the other thing I can't deal with is pork belly. Um, and, and even to some extent bacon pork belly it doesn't matter how it's cooked it's just always just it's the texture the gelatinous like chewing on fat thing that I just can't I can't I just can't deal with it but can you eat bacon sometimes like I will I will destroy bacon fat bacon fat is good the smell of it of bacon cooking or pork belly like love it actually eating it ugh. No. And even crispy pork belly. Yeah. Yeah. I always I, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know why. Like I can always get that like chewy fat thing always breaks through for me. I hate it's that. almost like he's in disbelief. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like, you don't I, like it. <laughs> I know pork belly I it earlier. I I wanna love it so hard. Um, and I respect pork. Like it's, it's probably my favorite, like, uh, meat to eat. I cannot do pork belly. Angela, I think Michael is coming over to cook you pork belly 17 different ways. He is bound and determined <laughs> to, <laughs> to turn you on to pork. Belly. I actually just got some yesterday and it's in my freezer. I just <laughs> bought some pork belly. That sounds like an invitation. <laughs> like everything that everybody is saying right now, I literally don't eat. So like I, I can't chime in on like every single food that I don't eat because it would literally take up the whole entire stage. So I'm just going to chime in when I when there's something I do. Which is well, basic. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. So I'm one of those types of people. I love cooked tomatoes. Love them. Like, but raw, I'm not a big fan of raw tomatoes like anybody else feel that way i'm the opposite i don't like cooked tomatoes 
I like both, but I don't like sun-dried. Sun-dried tomatoes, I think, are the devil. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I don't even think they taste like tomato anymore. They should just call them, like, old-used belt leather instead of tomatoes. <laughs> They're tomato raisins. So, I feel like uh, raw tomatoes, you can only eat them in a salad. I mean, like, cherry tomatoes or something. I don't know how else you would eat tomatoes. You know, well, I mean, so tomato, tomato on a sandwich... Raw tomato on a sandwich, I can do. Sun-dried tomatoes, I can do. But, like, sun-dried tomatoes, I prefer cooking and pureeing them in something, per- personally. I don't I don't know how everybody else feels. I mean, I, I like that everybody else has some- different options. It's Tomatoes is something you eat with something. You know, you, you don't just open the fridge and eat a tomato. It's not an apple. So it has to be I- in a sandwich. Or a well, but my dad, <laughs> you know, my father, he's 60-plus years old. And uh, he'll take a raw tomato, cut it, and then put salt on it and just eat it raw. You know, it's like, wow. I, I wish I could do that. But it's like I don't get the texture and I don't get it. I think there's a there's a fundamental issue with the way that certain vegetables and fruits are picked and then shipped to our markets. You know, if, if you if you grow your own tomatoes and you pick them at the proper time, I truly believe they are nice, tender, sweet, and beautiful. Like most of the tomatoes in our grocery stores are so unripe. They're red, but they're not good. They they taste sour most of the time to me. So yeah, cooked tomatoes are great, but if you get one that is nicely vipe, uh, nicely vine ripened, like especially if you grow it yourself, they are absolutely sweet and tender. And I, I don't know. You know what? You're completely right. My, when we, my family used to grow tomatoes, I actually did enjoy them, and it's one of the few times I can remember really liking. To- yeah, Alan, you're talking about something oh, that I think is important. It's a food system issue that we run into, and this is part of. You know, the I talked about lobster and the price of lobster. Like we so fixate on certain ingredients that we basically force our food system to put ourselves in a position where we we can't enjoy them the way they're meant to be enjoyed because all of a sudden we need to have them in any part of the world at any part of the year. Avocados is one that I grapple with growing up in Southern California is picking them right off trees and now seeing the way that they're treated, I think is fascinating. Tomatoes, you guys ever want to uh, explore, go get a, a food saver, a seed savers catalog and look at over 500 styles of tomatoes that there's been. And then go to the grocery store and see the six types of tomatoes that we actually have <laughs> access to. So I think it's an important factor that you bring into. And tomatoes is a funny one for me because I love all things tomatoes when the tomato is a good tomato, right? Yet I can't do tomato juice. I like tomato soup. I like a Bloody Mary. I like tomatoes. I like tomato sauce. Tomato juice feels like I'm drinking cold blood. I don't know why. But <laughs> it's I like tomato paste tomato with water. Juice. How about beets? That's disgusting. Which one? I'm sorry. Beets? Oh, I love I'm not a fan of beets. Oh, I, yeah. They, that I just made like eight different types of beets this morning. So I love beets. Have you tried beet hummus? Beet hummus is really good. Really? I can't do cold soup too. I can't do um, crabs. I Wow, there's a long list for me. Have you had cake pop? I love borscht. Have you ever had borscht? I don't like it. Oh, okay. Aw. I was going to say, I can make you borscht next time I see you. I'll, I'll eat and drink things, but I wouldn't say like, I mean, I wouldn't like throw up, like, but it would be more like, eh, you know, it's great. I'll drink it, but I wouldn't go back for seconds. 
has anyone tried that feta cheese pasta with the chair no. tomatoes? We're talking about tomatoes <laughs> the and feta cheese. The TikTok, the TikTok, thing. the TikTok thing. Yeah, I feel like well, not every single day for like years, and then it became like this huge like phenomenon. And I was like, this is just what I eat like all the time. I'm loaded TikTok. Just putting that out there. Oh, yeah, guys, we should all follow each other. And if you see on each other's pages that we have TikToks or other accounts, you know, follow each other there, too. <laughs> I I did the TikTok cost the feta bake, but I added chickpeas to it. So I roasted off some chickpeas with the feta, with the tomatoes and with some onion. And it was really good. And then I added the pasta to it and it all went downhill. It, it's good. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm one of those people that actually went and did it for the first time so I did basil and the cherry tomatoes and it was really good I mean I liked it and it was easy so it works out I want to rapid fire some at you guys as we're kind of kind of getting towards the end I want to uh, spend a couple more minutes on this this is interesting we're talking about some of the foods we don't like and I, I can tell as we're getting going everyone's like okay this is a safe space I can talk about this and still not lose my street cred as somebody in the industry or somebody who frequents, right? And so I think that's important for us to be able to have those conversations. It's also important for us to continue to revisit them because our palates are always, always changing. And I, I know there's been some ingredients where when I had a, an amazing version of it, like Alan mentioned the fruit difference, all of a sudden I'm like, what the fuck? I was like pissed because like, I did not know this ingredients, this food could taste like this. And you get mad at all the other, uh, incarnations of it that you've had so i think it's always important for us to revisit because you just never know when somebody's bringing some different kind of fire it just hits different so i think that's important but i want to throw some at you for mine so i can tell on myself a little bit more uh there's a couple and i'll just rip them off and then you guys can can rip me to shreds but uh uh pumpernickel greek yogurt okra truffle uh black olives eggnog and Mole negra. Now I've had some moles that are really negras that I really love. I just think it's entirely too much chocolate too often in them. But those are some things that I know, like pumpernickel. I know that is like everything I stand for in food. Yet to me, it tastes like tree bark rolled in bird seeds. I don't get it. Greek yogurt is like I'm I'm chewing on like like talcum powder with some yogurt mixed into it. Uh, okra is just the slime. I just, every time I've had it fried, I've had it pickled mm -hmm. every kind of way, that slime gets me. Yeah, I can't. Truffle's one of those. It's just not worth the, worth the price. And please don't get me started on truffle oil because it's not truffle at all is a big one for me. Black olives, I don't get I it. don't eat any of that stuff you just named off. <laughs> I eat all of So, I mean, being that I work at a bagel shop and make bagels, uh, we have pumpernickel bagels. It's like a whole different game, I guess, in a sense, when you're adding pumpernickel to a bagel because you have so much bread around the pumpernickel itself. I mean, I understand people don't like it because it's a whole different spice aspect added to your your palate. But, I mean, cooked down pumpernickel, I've never experienced. So, I mean, I can't really speak on both sides. But in a bagel, I love it. Hi, this is Teresa. I'm new to this little club here. Um, my palate is actually quite diverse because I'm the youngest of six kids and growing up in the seventies, whatever my mother put on the table, that's what we ate, whether it was liver and onions, whether it was you name it, but we didn't have goat cheese and lamb. And those are two things that I just can't 
just please, you know. Yeah, I think Jensen was mentioning earlier that he also does not like lamb, which is funny because it's literally what I'm eating right now. <laughs> yeah, especially being in Colorado, we literally have the best lamb in the world. And I, I like it for a couple bites. It's just that that little bit of the, the aftertaste. It's not even gaminess. There's plenty of things that I like that are more gamey, quote unquote. There's just something that hits my palate in a certain way that I get palate fatigue after three, four or five bites. Even though I know it's of the utmost quality, it's handled well, it's raised well, it's seasoned well, and I, I have respect for the dish and the people cooking it. And so I love it when it's like a, a shared dish where I can have one or two bites. But if I got if I got to suck down a whole dish of of lamb, I'm just not going to enjoy it the way that I should, or the way that it's expected uh, from you know what's created. So I'm with you 100. percent uh, Teresa, I appreciate that. Mia, I just saw you joined in. Uh, jump in here. What are some foods that you want to like it just can't can't get there jensen i loved your list i agree with almost all of them and one of the one of the foods that annoys me is black olives on nachos i just can't stand it and i wish i knew the story behind who was the first person to put black not black olives on nachos um but that's one of my uh foods i want to like but i can't and also um like sauerkraut. I only like it on like a pastrami sandwich, but I, I don't think I like it. I definitely don't like it. So um, that's one of the foods, but I like kimchi. Um, but yeah. The black olives, it had to be somebody in the Midwest. One of the things that's very strange about food in the Midwest and also is, is inspired is the amount of dishes that go into a casserole uh, container or a hot dish, depending on where you are in the Midwest, and I experienced this coming from Southern California out there, the amount of dishes that are all from a bag, frozen or from a can, that are combined in these very unique combinations that then sometimes you're like, shit, that's really good. All right, I can't tell my chef friends that I like this weird uh, tater tot casserole or, <laughs> or sweet potato casserole with marshmallows on it but definitely the midwest some of the most creative dishes with food that was not living anywhere in our lifetime which is a very strange dynamic so i'm guessing they pulled black olives out of a can to throw on top of nachos that would be my guess it can yeah. and i'm pretty sure because i'm from michigan and i grew up like literally my dad would open up a can of black olives and i would like eat the whole can like that was just normal and tuna noodle casserole Ugh. i could not do it now but <laughs> We grew up eating that all the time. Ooh. This is this is Teresa again. My dad was a, a caterer um, up in Pittsburgh, and primarily it was Polish Italian weddings. Um, he did cook out of the house, and he always we always had a freezer and refrigerator in the basement. Well, his one of his specialties was. Um, well, it was pretty simple and basic back then in the 70s, but potato salad, um, barbecue chicken, you know, just like bought the carved out watermelon with the maraschino cherries and uh, everything uh, scooped up in little balls. But anyway, my brother and I, we would sneak down and my father had those big containers of black olives. Well, guess whose little hand was always in there? One on each finger, pop, pop, 
and the black and the maraschino cherries as well. That's that's a childhood memory, and I still love those to this day. But that that speaks to me so much. My wife Betsy, great great palate, right from from Iowa, and that's where I like got my bones. My uncle's owned five restaurants in Ames, Iowa. That's where they like made their careers, and I went out there and and cooked for them. That's where I got introduced to all these Midwestern fares, and. She still does this today. She buys the whole black olives, not sliced, canned, and puts them on all five of her fingers. And so now our two boys do that. One of our boys is super into them, and the other can't stand black olives, loves green olives. So he's in Camp Dad, and the other son is in, in Camp Mom, where it's black olives on the fingers, and she still eats them like this. And uh, it's just it, it speaks to that childhood memories, evoking childhood memories or trauma with food is absolutely fundamental as we like navigate all this. So I appreciate that. We're going to wrap here in a minute, Max, I saw you jumped on. So I want to get you a time and then think on this. We're going to be hosting this room every Sunday, 2 PM Eastern time, 1 PM Pacific uh, hour, hour and 15 hour and a half. If it's juicy, all kinds of different topics. And a lot of these topics will be heavy and deep. And then I'll try and have some topics that are kind of lighthearted, but I'm all about crowdsourcing everything. Right. I don't have all the answers. I'm just good at asking questions. And so I appreciate as much input. So we'll go around the room to end this asking for topics. We'll capture these topics and uh, and bring them into these conversations and likely be adding more and more rooms on for more thematic specific things. So think on it for a second while Max goes and then I'll let Alyssa just make sure we've we've checked all of our uh, our boxes to make sure we're good to go out of this room and then get some feedback from everybody. So anybody who's not up on stage that does want to uh, introduce the potential for a topic, please do so, raise your hand and we can get you on. I wanna get as many ideas for future topics as possible. Uh, Max, go ahead. What are some foods that you wanna like, just, just can't do it? Hey guys, thanks for the chance. Uh, my biggest problem is with eggplants and all varieties, you know, the big bulbous ones, the the thin Chinese ones, uh, and it's more of a it's more of a problem of uh, text uh, of structural integrity, which the eggplant doesn't hold when it meets heat, and so it becomes this mushy, um, you know, it becomes mushy with all the seeds inside. It's kind of gooey, and so since childhood, that's something you know, it's a huge problem for me. Now, when it's breaded and fried to oblivion in like an eggplant parmesan, then it's different, right? You don't, uh, it, the, the the breading gives it all the structural integrity it needs. But, um, you know, compared to most, most of the other vegetables, which we still hold some crunch um, or structure, the eggplant is the one that loses most on in heat. So I've had a huge problem with that. And so I just want to throw it off. Uh, I know you guys are closing, but I just want to throw it off to see um, what other, uh, you know, uh, recipes or dishes uh, would, you, would you guys think of where, which have an eggplant, but it's not kind of mushy and gooey and, you know, all that, that, that texture. Yeah, Max, you actually bring up, it, it's such a, a difficult thing with eggplant because there's actually two different techniques for the way that you need to cook eggplant because you have two completely different compositions from its, its skin to its interior. And even in the interior, you have the interior and then the seed interior. So actually some of the eggplant dishes that I like are the ways that I prepare it. I actually like separate them into three different categories and add them into dishes at three different stages. And that's been the way, because I agree with you. Sometimes it's like chewing on 
leather on the outside and like mucus on the inside with like little bits of like chia seed it is stuck in your teeth and I, I feel you on that a thousand percent it's when you're adding it to the dish that i think has the biggest impact it also has a significant amount of bitterness so a lot of times we're i'm trying to score and then salt the skin which will tenderize it and pull bitterness out like if you were pickling a, a cucumber very similar kind of process that's going to pull out some bitterness and a little bit of like mucus out of it, which sounds amazing. I can, I can hear that as I'm saying it, but that's what I would suggest that you're doing. And a lot of people aren't doing that. They're throwing it in entirely too early in its entirety. And, uh, and that's a problem for sure. Oh, that's great. Three stages. Awesome. We'll remember that. Thank you. For sure. All right, Alyssa, you want to wrap us up? Anything that, uh, uh, we need to touch base on and then just uh, go ahead and open up the floor to topics. And I'm going to, I'm going to type here and capture everybody's topics that they want to see uh, discussed in this room sometime down the road. Yeah, sure. So um, just to remind everybody, uh, this was a recorded room. So if you have any issues or you don't want to have us use your voice in the recording, please let us know. Um, you can contact uh, Jensen uh, or myself via our Instagrams, which are on our profiles. Um, Let's see. So that and we are going to close it up now. But like Jensen said, we want to hear your thoughts for topics that you want to hear that you want to discuss moving forward. Um, I guess we'll start with uh, Michelle. Sure. Um, I think I really want to focus on um, in foodie influencers that are posting so many pictures about a particular food or uh, I don't know, whatever's trending for the past weeks. And if you guys, if you tried it, if it's really that delicious or do you think like they're just kind of, you know, following the trend and, and just kind of blowing it out of proportion. I think that's something I would love to talk about. I'm with you on that. The the overuse of trends really bothers me. <laughs> yeah, like the mochi donuts, I'm still not going to go back again. And, <laughs> and I shared with you the place, so. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, everyone just jump in, throw stuff at me. No, no particular order. Uh, I think I appreciate that. Flooding the market with influence. I know I jumped into that room that Alyssa and you were hosting where I talked about not thinking about the influence, yet thinking about the impact. And so I think the impact from Alan's point of food system, from the way that we're interpreting cultural food, I think is super important. Shifting the notion from influence to impact for me is number one. I think it's a great topic. Anybody else throw some stuff out at me? You know what I'm going to say, Alyssa, social media in the <laughs> restaurant industry. Yes. Yes. I think that's a really good one. I would love to touch on that again. And again, yes. Again. yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Bruce. Personally, I'd like to hear about regional favorites and what people like to cook in their states that they live in or countries, you know, whatnot. Um, what's popular and what people tend to, say, put on a menu because of where they live. Yeah, I would love to hear about um, different spices that people use around the world. I think that would be pretty interesting. Um, I currently have, like, over a hundred spices that I use in my cooking. So I just want to see what other people are using. Chef Io just joined. Hey, Chef Io. We're actually closing up, but we'd love to have you up for a minute. <laughs> hey, Chef. Hey, Chef Io. Good to see you. A Max, too. What's up, Max? Hey. 
Um, if I may, I, I wanted to suggest a topic. Um, can, you, can, can we talk about uh, fusion food and the notion of fusion itself and how, you know, it's kind of bastardized these days where uh, everyone's kind of doing these takes on fusion for the sake of it, where it's, you know, at, at some point it just gets way too, um, you know, st stupid and the cultural appropriation of that. I'm not sure if it's too heavy a topic, but I just want to put it in. No, Max, actually, we literally, that was our topic last week was cultural food appreciation versus appropriation, the idea of fusion, uh, migration, uh, mashing shit together for the sake of mashing shit together came up quite a bit. So if actually, if you, if you search best served podcast on Anchor or Spotify or Apple or Google podcast, wherever you get your podcast, uh, I think Corey actually published that today or yesterday. So it's up the conversation from last week and it gets pretty in depth. Uh, we got about 20, 22, 23, 24 people that contributed to the conversation, got uh, a lot of different ideas out on the table. So absolutely anybody and everybody who's interested in that conversation, which I think will come up more often yet. That's what we discussed last week. So Max, you can dig into that for sure. And Chef Ayo, I know everyone, uh, screaming your praises. So let's, let's get, uh, your input here for sure before we wrap. So, sorry, guys. Uh, my bell just went, but uh, food you want to like, but you just can't. Uh, hi, guys. My name's Chef Ayo. I'm from London, United Kingdom. Uh, I'm just a normal chef. Well, thank you very much for the uh, for the love. Foods I want to like. Hmm. <sighs> Give you a few ideas if you want. A lot of people mention things like tripe intestines. Do you know for what? Me, it's polenta. like cakes. No, polenta. Polenta. Like, I've never understood. So you guys call it cornmeal or whatever it is. I've never understood. I remember Michael showed me a dish of his and I was all for it until he said polenta. I'm like, oh, polenta, polenta. Yeah, polenta is something I'm not really big on. And I don't know why. I just, you know what it is? I don't like anything grainy. So like, I don't eat oats. So I remember when I was training and I was trying to lose weight and gain muscle, I actually found a recipe on how to turn the oats into muffins and that's because that particular consistency that i'd get from it i didn't want it so yeah that's been a nutshell i'm not really a big fan of that gritty look looking stuff but yeah polenta is something i really don't like and that means that i probably won't like grits <laughs> yeah thank you very much i'm done speaking i was just thinking about that because i love grits and i think that's why i like polentas because it reminds me of it but i know that some people don't like that kind of rough grainy texture on your tongue. I, I can see how that can uh, be not so great for some people. <laughs> it, it, it just doesn't look good too, because I'm all about that smooth, silky look on a plate. And yeah, it's just not my thing. <laughs> you know, though, I, I showed you that picture that I had with the fried, but using the cornmeal. And I guess they don't do this many places, but here in the States, we fry with cornmeal sometimes. Uh, anyone else here like that? Frying with cornmeal batter? Yes, especially on chicken wings. Yes. Uh, hush or puppies. catfish. Yes. Hush New York puppies. style bagels get cornmeal on them too. But we, we just panko them here. So if we're doing chicken wings here, we either do, well, the most common form is, is the panko breadcrumbs. I'm not sure, probably brioche breadcrumbs. Um, I know some people do cornflakes. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's just a block because the, the dish was really nice. And my mate actually showed me, after Michael showed me that, she showed me her dish, which is also polenta. Uh, uh, she's actually from Britain, which is also something that she had dipped in polenta and actually, uh, well, cornmeal actually fried. 
But I think it's just because I know what polenta looks like when you are done with it. And it, for for example, it took me a long time to like mashed potatoes. I only started liking them when I when I when I stumbled upon pommy puree upon potato purees. So the mashy look when you mash it, I don't like. But the puree version when you when you run the potatoes, the Yukon potatoes or whatever it is through a rice and you you know and you, and you infuse your garlic infused or herb infused you know uh, cream and, and butter into it, I like. But the actual mash mash that I see that rough look. My brain just doesn't like it. Uh, yeah. No, don't don't use cornmeal, chicken wings. My brain was thinking of cornstarch. <laughs> I don't imagine that tasting great. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. Uh, when you were talking about polenta, one of the things uh, when I do polenta is I basically am, am recreating Joel Robuchon's uh, potato puree, which is actually potato, which is actually butter sauce thickened with potato. They use seven to eight potatoes for one pound of butter it's ridiculous and if you go to one of their restaurants there's literally one person on a station that's just making the potato the entire shift uh, unbelievable and so i try to think about polenta the same way it's never as good it, to your point it, there's always a little bit of that texture but i basically am trying to put as much fat and cheese as possible until it's almost to the breaking point and that's about that's about the only way that i'll do polenta because otherwise to your point it's just it's just, it bounces back. It fights back against you. So I appreciate that. Uh, I want to wrap here in a minute. So I want to get some more people, throw some ideas out at me. You know, Ayo, for you too, what is a topic that you'd like to be discussed? We're going to be in here every week, Sundays, 2 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, want to know what else is on your guys' minds. Anything else we need to be discussing? Uh, real quick, can I just touch on the potato thing? I, I totally agree with you. And the way I was taught to make mashed potatoes, was that you have to cook out all of the water and let it evaporate. I cook the potato in a pan until all the water's gone. So you can put as much butter in where that water was. But uh, topic wise, um, I kind of like this topic. <laughs> I, I think we could talk about this for two more hours. Me too. <laughs> it, it surely attracted me because I was on with uh, Food and Beverage Magazine last night until about three o'clock in the morning. Um, and, uh, a few of the things were out of my realm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a chef. I'm a home cook and a very good one at that. And I have, uh, quite a few, um, uh, I don't want to say famous chef friends, but yeah, I guess they are <laughs> famous chef friends. Teresa, and... I hate to throw out a plug, but if you're a home cook, I have a room opening up at one where us professionals, some of that are in this room right now, we answer home cook questions every Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Perfect. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. And please plug away. Anybody, this is, we're all about building this community here. So anybody else that's out there hustling, trying to communicate, like that's what we're all about. You know, our platform best served is about sharing more voices. We are trying to democratize the process of who gets to put in their opinion. What is a valid opinion in this, in this food and beverage, hospitality, home cook does not matter. All we're here to do is create a sense of belonging, right? A sense of, of family and not just something that's a trope that you say, but something that actually is meaningful. And that always comes from communication. We are pure communicators as chefs, as hospitality professionals, we just choose food, beverage, and hospitality as the medium to, for which to communicate. So anybody else who's out there hustling, trying to make their way in the world, trying to share and be a connector of people to especially to sit around a table, 
and uh and enjoy a meal then we are here to promote the shit out of you absolutely 100 so please please uh and reach out to us directly we have platforms that are sharing all the time we have guest writers who are you know a line cook in delaware for the first time having an opportunity to share their voice is something the best service is all about so please 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 for sure stay connected if you need more ways to get your voice out there that's literally what we spend all day every day trying to do so appreciate that any more any more ideas for topics let's throw let's throw them out there i want to get everyone onto their day i do have one because michelle was talking about i made fun of you for this because i know what neighborhood you're from because we live near each other we used to live near each other <laughs> um but italian food so you mentioned you don't like italian food and honestly growing up i didn't either because the italian food where we grew up was not really like authentic Italian food that you might be used to in other areas, um, but it's kind of just what dominated the neighborhood. Um, and one of the reasons why the food was so different is because it just kind of developed based on the community over time and what people like and don't like. So, and that's something I've noticed in a lot of places and here too, that foods from different places are changed to accommodate the people that live there so that they'll like it, even if it's not really how it's meant to be made or how the flavors are supposed to be. Um, so I don't know how to exactly incorporate that into a topic, but I think it would be interesting to discuss. I agree with you a thousand percent. Um, and I think every time I go to a restaurant, it's like spaghetti and meatballs, know, fried calamar, or like, fried mozzarella sticks. I'm like, I don't want that. And I've been to Italy plenty of times and I, I have these different flavors that they actually have shown me and it's, it's completely different. And I think in New York City, since I am surrounded by Italians, they, at home, they actually have different ways of preparing. So I think like the ingredients they use at home, like grandma makes the, the dishes, they're different. But I think, I also think like Italian food, it's so simple that I, it just never wowed me because coming from a Chinese culture and background, we have a lot of bold flavors. So maybe I just grew up having, getting used to that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I know living, like, it's weird because we did live in the same neighborhood and if you go to someone's house and they, they cook like food from Italy, it's amazing. But for some reason, the restaurants are just totally. All right. Appreciate everybody. We're going to, we're going to wrap now. Just uh, a couple other topics I'll throw out up there just so you guys know kind of some of the directions we already know we're going to be taking this. And then very specifically next Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern time, we'll be back talking. He we'll go heavy. We're going to go heavy, light, heavy, light. A lot of times heavy. We're talking mental health and self-care in food, beverage, hospitality, and the restaurant industry. A intensely, intensely important topic for us to discuss. And really it goes beyond that. It's just like how we take care of each other, especially in hospitality. We leave it all in the field. We are so good at taking care of the guests. We are so good at creating this dynamic experience or bringing that experience into people's homes, sharing something personal and something adventurous with people. And we leave nothing, nothing for ourselves. And it leads to me burned out in the kitchen, burned out as an owner, failed as an owner, as a chef, all these different things, because we put the intensity of pressure on ourselves and we are only as good as our next plate and there's strength and massive vulnerability in that type of tough guy, tough gal mentality and thinking. And we're, we're trying to shift that conversation. So we're also going to team up with uh, Katie Osuna, the uh, host of the uh, James Beard award-winning podcast, Copper and Heat, a good friend 
who's uh, focusing on that topic through season three of her show. Definitely go check that out. Season one and two are fire. Season one, be a girl, what it's like being a woman in the industry. And then the business model of restaurants is what they dug into in season two. Season three now focused on kind of the worker's experience, which is fundamentally important to the work that we do. Again, our mission at Best Serve is to unlock and amplify the worth and work of people who feed their communities. That's all of you. That's all of us. And so that'll be a big topic. We'll also be talking about podcasting. We really believe that there's an opportunity to grow personal brands. And we think that we want to be sharing how our team produced 319 shows, talked to more than a person a day last year. We're hoping to have five, 600 people contribute to what Best Serve does this year. So we want to be able to share that out there because I think everybody should have a platform to share their voice. We're going to talk food system. We'll probably talk a little more about culture appropriation. We'll talk about promoting your personal brands, your side hustle, things like that. So, Michael, I know that's important to you. We'll talk about mission stories, what it's like to really understand your core values as an individual, as a company, as a business, as an industry. Uh, we'll talk about the customer experience quite a bit, whatever that means, if we are the customer or if we're looking to entice and uh, build that community around the customer. And I think that is it. I want to thank all of you for joining in. Please join in every week. Please connect directly and let me know if there are other topics that you think of as you're going out through your days, through your life. want to thank uh, Alyssa for sure. Alyssa Levine, Totally Forked. Go check out totallyforked.me. Absolutely. Uh, Blog and telling stories. And the uh, Totally Forked uh, Facebook group, a great place to kind of see what's happening in the zeitgeist of food and beverage. Alyssa, I think that's it. Anything else? Uh, can we wrap this up? This was a great, great room. I appreciate you all. Can I just say one thing? Just one. one yeah, thing. go ahead. Um, this is directed at one person. Janice, what you said about tacos may keep me up. So if you're ever in New York, Brooklyn, I will make you like the real deal tacos <laughs> from Mexico. Whenever you want, if you're ever in New York, open invitation. He will. He means I it. I will make you, like, <laughs> I run, I'm not going to get into it, but if you ever want that, I will make you the real deal. That's that's what chefs do. We're always trying to bring people to the light or the dark side. Sometimes it's hard to tell which. I always really appreciate that. Eric, I appreciate that. Michael, I appreciate you trying to champion pork belly as well. So that is it, everybody. <laughs> Thank you all so much for participating. Thank you so much for the work that you do. And thanks for being here to communicate, to listen, to speak, to share your voice. It fucking matters. And I appreciate you all. Have a great day. You Thank too. You, you too. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.